2: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 36th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is why gender equity is a men's issue. I'm joined by David G. Smith and W. Brad Johnson. They are the co-authors of Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. The publisher is Harvard Business Review Press. Dave is an associate professor of sociology in the College of Leadership and Ethics of the U.S. Naval War College. Brad is a professor of psychology in the Department of Leadership, Ethics, and Law at the U.S. Naval Academy and a faculty associate in the Graduate School of Education at Johns Hopkins University. They are also the co-authors of a previous book together, Athena Rising, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women. Welcome to the show, Dave and Brad. Glad to be here. Great. I am looking forward to it. So let's help out the listener. Just give them a quick nutshell version of what this book is about.
0: Yeah. You want me to jump in, Dave? I'll I'll go ahead and begin. So... Um so this is Brad, and I'll just kind of give you a sense about Dave and I and our, our journey to writing this book. We have been working together for about nine years now, uh, starting with our first book, Athena Rising. Uh, Dave's a sociologist. I'm a clinical psychologist, and we have noticed in our different research areas uh, that you, the, the landscape is not equal when it comes to gender. In my area around mentoring and sponsoring, we find that women get less mentoring and sponsoring than men do. The quality is not quite as good. And men often don't engage with women in the workplace. And we have always been curious about that. Dave had been researching gender, work, and family. And so we began having these conversations about why men are often missing uh, in the equation when it comes to really promoting gender equity and inclusion uh, at work. So we set out to do the research with our new book, Good Guys. uh, We decided we really wanted to know what it looked like when men showed up as allies. So we gathered all the data we could find on great cross-gender allyship. And then we uh, went out and did interviews, large uh, qualitative interviews uh, with women and asked them, what does it look like when men really show up as colleagues, as allies, as accomplices, uh, in promoting equity and promoting fairness in the workplace, uh, in in many cases those women nominated a male that they thought really got it and and really showed up uh, in his behavior as an ally. And so we got interviews with those men if they were nominated by women. And so basically we put all of that together. Dan is sort of the toolbox for men on how to really show up at work. And there are sort of two broad categories that that Dave and I discerned. You know, there are the interpersonal, relational uh, ally uh, behaviors and actions. And then there are the more public systemic ally actions. So when men really put some skin in the game and do the public disruption, uh, another really important uh, area. So so that, in a nutshell, uh, is good, guys.
2: Okay. And and Dave, what would you like to
1: add to that perhaps? Hey, I'm uh, glad to be here with you and joining now and I can hear you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not really sure what uh, what Brad said. Ah, <laughs> then maybe we'll move on to the next question. Yeah. I said that I was the
0: brains behind our book, Dave.
1: And <laughs> <that> I was the <laughs> true statement there.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: so, let's make the case for why this book is important, and I, I certainly agree that it is. This is a—I was so delighted to see that this book had been written and so well by the two of you. Uh, there's a lot of good statistics in this book, startling statistics, to make the case why this is important subject matter. Uh, I'll just mention one of them, the old traditional model of the male as the sole breadwinner and the stay-at-home mom is now, you report, less than 30% of all households with children in America. What are some other statistics? I mean, I just picked one there, but things that really make the case why this is so urgent and important for, for some progress here.
1: Yeah, so there's so much out there. And I think certainly one of the, the cases that we like to focus on is around leadership and business in particular, that you know, organizations and leadership that are taking this seriously – understand uh, what the research and the evidence shows that the businesses that have more gender diversity not just at the the bottom of their organization but all the way across through the senior levels uh into the c-suite into the boardroom right that women are represented across the board are much more just broadly successful because why they they make better decisions they're more creative they're more innovative uh they make more money their their profits and losses today certainly uh we've shown that there is actually a a direct connection between gender diversity and, and and there are again other aspects of diversity that are important here too but but gender diversity at the senior levels makes a difference in terms of the profitability of an organization the success and the ability to accomplish the mission out there so certainly we we find that uh That it makes it a better place to work. People appreciate leaders, right? That, uh, again, in terms of being allies, are, are more clear in what they're, why this is important and connecting it to themselves personally as well as to the business out there.
2: Okay. Anything you wanted to add there, Brad?
0: Well, yeah. And I I, no, I just want to echo uh, what Dave said that, you know, the, the research is really interesting. When one great study, Boston Consulting Group, went out to uh, lots and lots of companies, asked hundreds of women, is your company making real progress on gender diversity and inclusion? And the number one Powerful correlate of whether women said yes to that was whether or not they said they saw men in their company as championing inclusion and diversity. When the answer to that was yes, I see guys involved in this. Ninety-six percent of women said, "Yep, I'm seeing real progress." So I think that is just one study that is illustrative of the the point we're making that men are often missing, uh, and they're a key missing ingredient.
2: Sure. And the other piece of that was, in fact, you report that only 30 percent of the cases is their progress when men are not involved. So we're talking, what, 60 percent and more of a yeah. difference. So yeah. it, it, it's huge. And that alone would justify this book. But there's so much more, of course. I'm curious about the 59 women. I mean, obviously, the names are sprinkled through in the comments um, a little bit about how you selected them. And if it ever occurred to you to perhaps include uh, their bios in the back yeah go ahead, Dave.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So part of our our methodology was to try to include as many different professions and industries and occupations as possible as we were going through uh, this because we wanted again to show and to be able to see direct applicability across um, a variety of different settings out there. So the, con- the context of the different professions and industries was really important to us. The other one was a more of a diversity of perspectives to show again, that uh, the women, like men, are not a monolith, right? That they have a variety of different experiences, and that just because you know one woman had this experience didn't mean that all the rest of them had the same exact experiences. And so there were nuances, there were differences, and and to find some of those again, looking for again a diversity of perspectives, and in particular, you know, looking at at uh, perspectives around women for women of color. We wanted to make sure that again we know in the research that women of color report that. A lot of differences in terms of how they experience the workplace, how they're received in the workplace. And so wanted to make sure that that was incorporated. Same thing with uh, around sexuality and age and race, I mean, class and, and education, um, all of these these factors play an important part. Because again, I think what we found at the end of the day was that allyship uh, while we were looking at it through a gendered lens, uh, again, the intersectional aspects of this, the the, the the connections between race and gender or sexuality and gender are so important to really understanding the unique differences. And that if we're going to be allies for for one group, we need to be allies for all groups, right, because this translates broadly out.
0: Yeah, and I don't think we really got very far in terms of thinking about listing all of the women that we interviewed and their bios. I think I think that was actually a publisher decision. So I don't think we would have minded that at all because we're so impressed with the women that we got to have these conversations with. But I, I think the the publisher said, Yeah, I don't have room for that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, they were very distinguished women, and there was a real variety, and I guess I was trying to like pull together the puzzle pieces of what all they represented, and maybe that would have been helpful, but I don't think it's a a huge point, certainly, in the end. Uh, One of them is Gretchen Carlson, who I knew just a bit because I was on Fox and Friends a few times. She mentions, uh, among her other comments, uh, she says, harassment is a man's issue. Uh, One of you might unpack that for listeners.
0: Yeah, well, and and I, I think it's such a good comment uh, from Gretchen because the evidence really supports that Dan that you know this is um, we're that we're post Me Too now just a few years and you know there were a lot of false narratives about Me Too that you know women cause Me Too or women are now dangerous to interact with. Clearly, Me Too was caused by some male perpetrators and serial predators in the workplace, like some that Gretchen uh, encountered. And and we've got to be very clear about that. we got to be clear that Me Too is about women asking to come to work and not be assaulted or harassed. It's really simple. It's a low bar for men. But let's not pretend that, that Me Too was caused by anything but male harassers. So, um I think I think that point is is quite important, and and the really nice illustrative story Gretchen offered us related to that was a male colleague, a male ally, and his willingness to notice when something had happened to her. And this this happened fairly early in her career. She had been uh, harassed out on a shoot of some news story. The guy, the cameraman, had had harassed her in a very clearly an appropriate way. She was rattled. She was upset. Went back at the newsroom. A male colleague noticed this and he kept persistently asking, Gretchen, what's going on? Can I can you share this with me? What has happened? And finally she let him know that and he immediately collaborated with her in addressing the problem. Immediately Believed her immediately. It was just a nice illustration uh, of a guy actually putting skin in the game and being willing to do the public allyship.
2: Yeah, no, I think it was it was a nice story. It was a nice affirmative story. Uh, the story brings up the question of how to confront or deal with or mentor not just women, but to deal with male colleagues who sometimes are not, uh, may not be harassment, maybe something more subtle what's your from your research from your instincts the conversations what have you learned as you know in terms of like public versus private uh, i mean what what approaches work best uh, any advice uh, insights you can offer us there
1: yeah absolutely and and certainly the the research helps us too the evidence that shows that one that i think as men begin to understand that we have this um, assumed or high level of acceptance, right? That we assume that other men have a high level of acceptance of of these biases, of these sexist comments and things that... So, for example, when we're in a room where it's just men, which still happens a lot today, and a man makes one of those sexist jokes or comments, and we immediately all start looking around the room at each other and to see how everybody's going to respond. And But there's this immediate assumption that... Well, everybody else in the room it has a really high level of acceptance and is okay with that is okay with those kinds of comments or jokes being made The reality is that in the research shows that that's not the case that most men do not have that high level of acceptance most men do not and that all it takes is that one person and this comes from the a lot of the bystander and intervention work that's been done it just takes that one person to say something to disrupt the status quo of what we think we know or what we think we understand out there. And so it's critical, I think, to to employ that as we think about all the different settings, we can do that of how do we say something and we see something and we recognize that it's out there. What are we going to see? What are we going to say? What are we going to do at that moment? But the fact is that as allies, we first and foremost recognize that we have to do something. And publicly, um, if you're going to do it in public instead of private, Uh, There's a lot of obviously a lot of considerations to take into account. Right. It might be in the situation of who else is in the room, who else stands to gain. Right. In in other words, there are benefits to saying something in front of other people out there, Uh, in particular, when when women hear men stand up. For these things and confront other men about this that it, it validates their experiences it validates what they're thinking it's like like suddenly it wasn't oh it's not just me right it's, it's oh this guy also he he saw it he heard it. it so it validates that it builds that self-esteem self-confidence and the self-efficacy to do something about it next time they're more what we find in the research they're more likely to actually take action next time so there are there are reasons to publicly do these things the question is you know, is this something where we want to have? What kind of relationship do we have with the person? Um, no. Are they are they our boss? Are they a peer? Are they a junior? Are they how old are they? Because generation sometimes might make a difference in terms of beliefs and attitudes and ideas about this. Is it just that clueless guy that hey, he just doesn't have it. He just doesn't get it and understand. Or is it somebody oh, no, he he probably probably gets it? It might be a blind spot for him. He's just not seeing it at the moment, and so. Understanding that that reading that moment, right, that situation is critically important to deciding what's the best benefit, because at the end of the day, what we're trying to accomplish is changing behavior, changing, making people aware and then changing. It's like, well, maybe he just didn't realize it. So um, and in other cases, it might be that that guy that, well, I have a relationship with him, so I want to do it in private because I know he'll th- He'll be more likely to receive it and perceive it as being something that, hey, this is somebody who cares about me and they're providing this gift of feedback and that, oh, I need to listen to this. It's like he has my best interests in mind here. So I think being very thoughtful about this and in particular for men confronting other men that um, remembering that we have to do something and don't don't worry about, you know, breaking the bro code or losing your man card in the moment out there.
2: Okay, um, and what do women most look for in a male ally? What, I mean, what are the dos, and what are the there are probably some don'ts as well? Um, either one of you want to take that on?
0: Yeah, well, I I can begin. Um, you know, so gosh, let's start with a couple of don'ts. Number one, don't don't call yourself an ally. Um, you know, Dave and I are big on men showing up and doing the work and making it legitimate. Um, you have to be consistent. You've got to pass the friend test. And what I mean by that is um, you need to develop trust with women, right? So it is, I, I can't imagine anything that would sabotage your effort to be an ally more than, you know, on, on one hand, uh, showing that you're interested and that you care about equity. In your verbal behavior, but then women see you in other contexts, or maybe meetings, or places where there aren't women around, and and they hear about what you're doing, and it's not okay, right? You're laughing at sexist jokes, you're making them yourself, you're belittling women who aren't in the room. Um, Nothing is going to undermine you more quickly than that. So so don't do that. Um, And if I can give you a to do, um, it would be would be listen. Um, How about listen? How about listen generously and spaciously? How about not making assumptions about her because she's a woman? How about, uh, you know, really doing the the, the work of discerning where she'd like to go in her career in a perfect world and then, you know, asking how you could collaborate with her to help her get there, open the right doors, make the right introductions, network her, push her forward for stretch assignments. These are some of those really important Ill, uh, interpersonal aspects of allyship.
2: Well, I'm glad you mentioned the word trust. It seemed to me in the end that was the most important uh, emotion of the core emotions we might talk about because um, it has so much to do with value and respect and, and avoiding the opposite, which is contempt and condescension. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like that answer. Dave, anything more you wanted to add on that front?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that trust component is so critical. And and part of it in, that I think is, is important for listeners to to really kind of think about is the fact that, you know, allyship in our research, we found that most men, And hopefully this doesn't surprise people, but most men believe in gender equity and gender equality and and for all the right reasons that they believe in it. Right. That it's important. uh, It's the right thing to do and for the the people that they know and care about. But the challenge is is that so that just because you believe it doesn't mean you're actually doing it right, doing the work to create allies, to create equity in the workplace. And we have we get this gap in terms of how much we this kind of an aspiration execution gap of what we think we're doing versus what we're really doing And, and the research bears that out that often men think just because i believe it that i'm actually doing it and what we need to close that gap is one awareness and two feedback and so back to the trust piece in particular that if you don't have female colleagues or even male colleagues, right? That are that would consider themselves to be allies, or confidants, or good enough friends and peers and colleagues to be able to give you that really direct, unvarnished feedback. We're never going to close the gap because you're never really going to understand how much you're really doing out there. And so we really encourage. Men as allies to develop these close relationships with women and men, right, where they can get that gift of feedback back to and and really appreciate it and be ready in the moment and practice this ahead of time that, hey, you're going to get feedback when you you're least ready for it. And that's that's the moment when you don't want to respond in a way that sounds defensive or threatened or something in some way that you're going to say something that, again, is not going to encourage more feedback. You're going to get less of it. So you need to think about, all right, what am I going to say right now? It's like, wow, thank you. Um, it's something I'm trying to work on. Would you mind if I come back and, and ask you, and we have a conversation more about that later, because I really do appreciate the fact that you, you've given me this gift and, but something that shows that you value it and you carry and you're going to get more of it develops trust. Uh, And now, once we've got that trust dialogue going, now we can really begin to close the gap. Sure.
2: And to me, the the trust is also important, you know, between the the male ally and the woman, but also the woman to be able to trust her own instincts. You mentioned the word gaslighting in the book. And in fact, you guys have a lot of wonderful terms that you've created or put front and center in this book. I'm wondering if each of you might take a term or two and just uh, introduce them to readers and explain what they're about and what's their significance.
0: Yeah, well, I, I'll go ahead and begin with the one that you mentioned, because I think it's an important one, Dan. The, the whole idea of gaslighting, you know, this is not a new idea, but I, I think we often um, don't catch it. We don't see it, especially, you know, those of us that are men this happens to women often daily, you know, so, and and both men and women can gaslight uh, women, but I think this is something that men do uh, without any awareness. So, you know, a woman makes a statement about something that's happened to her and, or something that uh, was done to her. Maybe it was a harassing gesture or, or a really biased or sexist comment. She shares it with him and he immediately begins, whether he's deliberate or not, but he's undermining her perception, right? Oh, he didn't really mean it, or oh, you're blowing it out of proportion, or you need to not be so sensitive. These gaslighting comments are designed to have her question her own experience, question her own reality, and in some cases question her own sanity about how she's perceiving the world. And this has happened to women too much, and and men need to become aware of this. And you know, first response to this, in in instead of the gaslighting, is I believe you, and tell, tell me more about this, and and then how can I collaborate with you? What would what would feel most supportive to make sure this doesn't happen anymore? I don't want to go charging off and do all the white knighting, rescuing, because that may undermine your autonomy. But I, I'm here as a collaborator. And I'm really willing to, uh, you know, to think with you about um, about how to prevent this. One more term, and I know Dave has a bunch, is the whole man interruption issue. You know, we know women get interrupted on average about three times more than men in the workplace, in meetings, in conversations. So, and and men are usually the offenders. We're, we're typically talking over uh, women. So I've got to be aware of the man interrupting. I've got to be aware of when I'm doing it, and I've got to be aware of how I can bring it to the attention of other men who are doing this.
1: I think the important thing here, Dan, is, and for our audience out there is to remember that, you know, some of these have kind of interesting names, or at least they're they're they sure. might No, think- I, th-
2: I think they're very clever, but they, they also pack a punch. They got meaning to them
1: exactly and that and that is that, I think that's the key point here that we should take away you're right on the on the money is that it, has, it, it provides meaning to you know gaslighting without the term gaslighting there it sounds like a bunch of again it could be very harmless in some ways comments or feedback but it's not it has it has a, a particular meaning and it has a particular effect and the minute we begin to name something right then we can ascribe the meaning that goes with it and and so something like a man interruption is not just an interruption. It's more than that. It's the fact that, that again, men feel privileged in a way that they can interrupt women at any time they want, and they will. And as we begin to understand what these, um, these behaviors look like, it, it's really helpful then to disrupt the status quo. And at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do is bring attention, develop awareness that these things are happening, what they are, what they mean, what their effects are, and now what do I do about it, right? And so, uh, bro appropriation was one of our favorites. And this also has the corollaries of he eating and imitating. There lots of kind of interesting (laughs) names that go with a concept of, it's so prevalent, that that women have given it multiple names and and this is the idea that that women's ideas are not valued in the same way that men's are their contributions are not valued in the same way that men's are Brad and I heard this over and over again from women in all of our interviews for for both books we've written and, and i remember the fir- i can still remember the first time i heard this story years ago from a woman and and she's very senior and I, just, and I just just was shaking my head going, I can't believe I'm hearing this. How can this be? I've yeah. never experienced this ever in my life. And I remember, you know, afterwards after hearing it two or three times asking perhaps I was like, Hey, this keeps coming up in the interviews. Have you ever had this happen to you? And he's like, no. And I said, me either. And so, it, but it was really telling to us because here again is something that is so prevalent. Yet here are two guys who are, you know, again, trying to understand, trying to do, do good and trying to push the message out there for guys to be more engaged in doing this work. yet if we weren't aware of it, how do we do that? How do we fix it? Because it's really hard to fix something that you can't see and, and to name it and to give it meaning and now I can ah, now I, now I know what it is. Now I can talk to, to other men about it and I can explain the, the importance of us doing something and disrupting what's going on in the status quo.
2: Sure. And I mean, there's, you know, really central terms of the book is gender intelligence, GQ, also situational awareness. I've always been fond of uh, opening stanza of a poem by Wallace Stevens that goes, A duchess is not a duchess a hundred yards from the carriage. Women <laughs> understand this, which is just yeah. yeah. a guys sometimes don't. Uh, one of my favorite chapters in this book was on meetings. And, you know, we spend a lot of time in the business world in meetings and they do have, as your book chapter pointed out, we, there are these pernicious patterns that exist. Uh, maybe take us through a couple of them and, and some solutions to those patterns.
1: Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think we've we've covered a few of them already. You know, the, certainly the the, the interruptions. fact that yeah. yeah, the interruptions and then the appropriations and and all of that. But it's it's more than that. Again, it's the again it's from a situational awareness perspective, and this is just as valid today in the virtual work from home environment as it as it was you know in the being in the physical workplace and it's just when you walk into a space or if you enter a zoom room or whatever the case might be is begin to look around and see okay first who's here um and who's not here who's been excluded whether intentional or not right and who should be in the room in this and being aware of the content of the of the meeting of the decisions that the important decisions that might be made in that meeting, the resources that are being divvied up amongst people and the opportunities that are being given out in that meeting and and really beginning to understand and see that in in the physical sp- space it was really clear because wow you know sometimes it was just who had a seat at the table where did they have a seat at the table do they have a name plate at the table do they have their title represented representing them all at the table were they in the first row second row back even in the room um who's being handed out all the office housework right this is the who's taking who's oh, i love
2: coming, that term yeah
1: right another one of our the terms of uh, <laughs> who's taking notes who's being uh asked to go fix coffee or go bring bring the food for the meeting, who's being asked to plan social events, who's being asked to uh, do this committee work, while important, we all know probably doesn't have the same value when it comes to promotions and advancements, right? It's work that has to be done, but you don't see any of the guys raising their hand to do it. And women often will be the first ones because they're very uncomfortable in that setting. They're like, okay, I'll do it. And, and just beginning to recognize all these things and how one of my favorites was a lot of very senior men talked to us about how they recognize from a privileged perspective, how the spotlight would naturally come to them when they entered into a room. And you just see this, that everybody looks to them. And when there's a question or there's a decision to be made, they just look to them and go, Hmm, I wonder what he thinks or what Evan thinks here. And, and. These men, they said, you know, it was really important for them to begin to understand that there were a lot of situations where it wasn't so important what they thought. It was more important that they look at one of their other colleagues in the room. And often that might have been a woman because she was the expert. She was the one leading the team. She was the one who should have been leading the discussion on this conversation. And they would just say, you know, hey, I'd love to tell you more about that. But, but, you know, Sheila here is the expert and I'd really like to hear what she has to say. And so they talked about it in terms of decentering. Right. Of taking the center, the spotlight away from them, recognizing it, that it was there and then shifting it. Do the lateral pass, do the toss the mic, however you want to think about the metaphor, right, of, of moving that back over to somebody else where it belongs.
2: You know, I, I, I like that a lot, including the, the solution to the the problem there. Uh, Before we run out of time, uh, maybe one last question, and maybe I'll, I'll put this one to Brad. Part three of the book talks about organizational change. I want to make sure we don't miss out on that element. Anything you want to, you know, offer readers, kind of take us home on?
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I I think that the the key here, and and there's so much in that chapter on on organizational uh, sort of allyship and systemic allyship. The systemic piece is so important, and you know, Dave and I are noticing, and we we certainly found this in our research that companies that are really getting it around. Systemic allyship and men who are getting it are being quite transparent and clear about why gender inclusion, gender equity matter, why this is not just something nested in human resources, why this is crucial to the business of the company or the organization's bottom line, whatever that looks like. Then, uh, once I articulate why this matters, why it is so important then I'm going to hold people accountable, right? And so we're seeing a best practice is to actually talk about why it matters and then make it a bottom line issue when it comes to employee evaluations, when it comes to how we assess performance of managers, um, companies and, and individual leaders that are really getting it in the systemic area are holding folks accountable. And so I, I, I think that is just crucial.
2: Yeah, I just want, I want to end on that big picture note. So I want to thank you both so much for having been on the show today. This is Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. This has been episode number 36, Why Gender Equity is a Men's Issue. My guests, Dave Smith and Brad Johnson, they are the co-authors of Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. You can find more information about this episode by going to my latest blog posting at https. Forward slash emotions plural emotionswizard.com. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. To check out other episodes, you can go to my company's website at the obligatory3W's and sensory logic.com. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an appropriate epigram. In light of today's topic, here's a quote from Jeremiah Say. He wrote, Men of quality respect women's equality. Until next time, be kind and stay safe.